0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Friends, today we are going to be returning to the book of 2 Corinthians We have spent a good deal of time in 2023 in this book. We began the year by seeing how God is preparing us for this mission that he has called us to, and then we saw in chapters 2 through the first part of chapter 4 how God has briefed us on what this mission is all about, that we are to to go everywhere we go and spread the knowledge of Christ, whether that's to Tuscaloosa or to Norman or to the Middle East or wherever the Lord takes us, we have the opportunity of following Him in a triumphal procession in Christ. And so we've been talking about this mission prep and this mission brief. Today we're going to be returning to the book of 2 Corinthians to talk about how we can endure on the mission that... God has called us to in Christ. How do we endure? And as I was thinking about this, this concept of endurance, I thought about this crazy thing called an ultra marathon. Anybody familiar with an ultra marathon? I think technically what an ultra marathon is is an ultra marathon is a race for those who look at a traditional marathon and say that's not enough. I want to keep going. And so anything over 26 miles of a race is considered an ultramarathon. And there's an ultramarathoner by the name of Dick Collins who provides some insight for us on how we might have some hope of completing an ultramarathon one day. Uh, Dick says this. He says, "Decide the conditions that will cause you to stop and drop out before the race." And I'm like, "Before the race? That's right." The word "ultra" is when I decided not to run it. But says, "Decide the conditions that will cause you to stop and drop out before the race." You don't want to be out there saying, "Well, gee, my leg hurts, and I'm a little dehydrated. I'm sleepy. I'm tired, and it's cold and windy." And as a result, talk yourself into quitting. If you are making a decision based on how you feel at that moment, you will probably make the wrong decision. Now, I, I think that his words sound like he knows what he's talking about. And I say that not as someone who's run an ultra marathon, but as someone who has done some things for the long haul. And you have done some things for the long haul by, by the looks of us, right? There are some children in the room, but many of us have lived many years of life, so we are used to doing things for the long haul. We're used to getting up every day and going back to that job or stepping into this relationship or whatever it might be. We're used to doing things over and over and over again. How have we endured in those things? Well, to some degree, we just simply decided not to quit, not to give up. But I think there's added insight that we might gather today by looking at this statement as it relates to our spiritual life. As it relates to our spiritual life, friends, it is possible for us to want to give up. When we live out our life in Christ, we have times of discouragement, times when we pray and there is no answer, or at least not the answer that we want. There are are times when we might have been persecuted for our faith in Christ. There are difficulties that we have endured in life. And over time, as we go through these difficulties, it is possible for some of us to want to tap out, to step away from Christ and to go our own way. And so as we gather here this morning at the start of this new series, I think it's helpful to ask the question, what are the conditions that would cause you to stop following Jesus in this life? What are the conditions that would cause you to stop following Jesus in this life? Now, if we are followers of Christ, if we are trusting in him for our eternity, and if we are thinking clearly, there's an obvious answer to this question. What is it? nothing, there is nothing that would cause us to stop following Christ. And yet, sometimes we feel like that has not been the way it's played out in the lives of those we know and love. Uh, We know people that have stopped following Christ. Maybe you in this room had a season of time. Maybe you're just coming out of it. Maybe you're still in it when you have made the decision to stop following Christ Well, friends, as we ponder this and as we think about this this opportunity we have to endure, we need to look into God's Word to gain some insight that will help us endure following Christ for the long haul. And inside of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, we see two questions asked that are really critical for us to remember and think about as we consider what it looks like for us to endure following Christ for the rest of our lives. This morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at these three verses. I want to read them for us and then we'll back up and we'll ask these two questions that will help us have a perspective that will endure. So we see in Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16, the Apostle Paul begins and says this. He says, so we do not lose heart. When we look at this concept, I want us to ask two questions today. The first question I want to ask is this, what is your point of reference? What is your point of reference? A point of reference is really important. It helps us understand where things fit in the grand scheme of things. It helps us compare things to understand what is important and what is unimportant, what is heavy and what is light. Our point of reference matters on what is far or what is near, what is fast or what is slow. What is big or what is small? Now, some examples from life, just to help us understand this concept. Let's take a mile time. How much time it takes to to, to run a mile. Now, let me ask you, is a five-minute mile fast? How many of you think that a five-minute mile would be fast? Oh, come on. Yes, many of our hands have gone up because for most of us in the room, this time is fast. But let's compare the five-minute mile to how fast the mile was run at the recent COAC High School 6A track meet. The f- the winning time was four minutes and 13 seconds. So for us, five minutes is fast, but compared to the COAC champ, it is slow. And then let's compare his time to the world record time of three minutes and 43 seconds. Now, compared to The world record, the COAC champ, is slow, and we are even slower. And from our perspective, they're all pretty darn fast, right? How about the size of a home? The size of a home? What is a a big home or a small home? Well, what about a 2,000-square-foot home? Is that big or is that small? We have to have a point of reference to understand the answer of that question. Compared to the average home in America... It would be small because the average home in America is actually 2,300 square feet. But then let's compare that to the average home size in Russia. It's 600 square feet. And there are other countries that would be even smaller. So once again, we have to have a point of reference to understand these kinds of terms. Or let's think about an education level. An education level is a college degree of any kind, just a bachelor's degree. Is that that considered well-educated or not? Well, it all depends on who you know and who you run around with and maybe the field that you serve in. Because only 35% of Americans have a bachelor's degree, 35%. And compared to the population of the world, only 7% have a college degree. And so, friends, we have to have a point of reference to make sense of if something is big or small, if something is far or near, if it's fast or slow. It's important for us to have a frame of reference. Now, this is also true in our spiritual lives. And we see this by looking at the Apostle Paul, who, when he was thinking about a a point of reference as as he made this statement in verse 17, he said, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He called what he had experienced light and momentary. Now, let's dive in a little more to see what he was calling light and what he was calling momentary. As it relates to this idea of being light, the Apostle Paul said this in verse 8. He says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Burdened beyond his strength, despairing of life itself, and yet here he calls it light. And lest we think maybe he was just having a bad moment here, Let's look to chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. We won't read it now. We're going to get to these verses later. But inside of those verses, it's interesting that he talks about multiple imprisonments, multiple beatings, near death. Five times he got 39 lashes, which was nearly a death sentence. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He experienced three different shipwrecks. He was in danger from every direction. He had sleepless nights. He was hungry and thirsty and cold and exposed. Friends, he says that he experienced all of those things, and yet he calls it light? And then how about this idea of momentary? Momentary. Well, let's just remember a little bit of Paul's life. Paul came to Christ in roughly 33 AD. That's when he he came to faith. We see that in Acts chapter 9. Right after he comes to faith, there are death threats on his life. And then he continues to persist in following Christ and proclaiming his name and writing letters to churches and planting churches for the next 33 years, experiencing that kind of opposition. And so ultimately, he is martyred in 66 AD. So let's remember again, we're talking about 33 years. Momentary? For 33 years, he experienced this kind of opposition? Light and momentary. In what universe is what Paul experienced? Light and momentary. Well, in order to understand those terms, Paul reminds us of his point of reference. These things are light and momentary compared to what? Compared to the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul's point of reference was not the difficulty he was experiencing now, it was the blessing he would experience then. This idea of an eternal weight of glory is the weight of weights, the heaviest of the heavy. The biggest thing that he could possibly imagine or fathom was the level of blessing that God was going to provide for him in eternity. And compared to that, everything now was going to be what? Light, not as significant. And compared to that, it was going to be momentary compared to eternity. Because his experiences, even that went on 33 years, were but a drop in the bucket. They're within the margin of error compared to his eternal situation. And so, when we think about this, he he talks about the now was wasting away, was transient, and was light. And he compares it to the then, something that was being renewed. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Something that was going to be eternal, and something that was quite weighty. See, friends, our point of reference matters. And it's significant for us to, to think about what God is going to do, not just for Paul, but what he's going to do ultimately for us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, beloved, that's us. If we are in Christ, this is talking to us. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, has not yet appeared. In other words, we are already God's children. We are the recipients of a promise. God has begun a work in us, but it's going to get better. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus returns, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Right now, we have life there. We have life that will even be better. We need to remember this when we find our point of reference. Not only this, but Paul would also say in Romans chapter 8, this great statement and and analogy, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What, What happens in childbirth? Well, a child is born. But when you think about the process of carrying a child, there is a moment where carrying the child is beautiful and wonderful. But eventually, that child begins pushing on the edges of the womb. And even the person who loves being pregnant more than anyone else ultimately will say, Get this baby out of me now. Right? That's the way that it works. So living in this world, though it has things that we might enjoy and experiences that we might be able to to savor and we see the greatness of God, ultimately living here is going to be like being in childbirth, causing us to groan, saying, Lord, get me out of here now. And not only this creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Friends, right now, our point of reference needs to be then. And we remember what God is going to do for us in eternity. It causes us to be able to call the challenges of today light and momentary. John Calvin makes this statement. He says, this comparison makes that light which previously seemed heavy. It makes that brief and momentary which seemed of boundless duration. When we have once raised our minds heavenward, a thousand years begins to look to us to be like a moment. Friends, we need to remember this point of reference because it makes a tremendous difference in how we assess life today. Now, it doesn't just make a difference for Paul, but it makes a difference for us. And I want to just draw your attention very quickly to what it says in verse 16. Notice what he says. If you've got your Bible, you might look there, but it says, so, what's the next word? So, we. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You know what Paul is, is doing there? What he's doing is reminding them that the point of reference that he's talking about is not just his, but it has the chance to be ours. His point of reference, this eternal weight of glory is not just something for the apostles of the first century. It's something for any and all who trust in Christ. So if we are trusting in Christ for our forgiveness of sins today, dear friends, we have a new reference point, a hope of eternity. And so as we gather here today, remembering our reference point, we need to remember who we really are. If we are trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we are a child of God, someone that Jesus bled and died for, someone that God has placed his Holy Spirit inside, someone that he has prepared a place for us to be with him forever, someone who has a future much brighter than our past and far outshining our present. Friends, this is what God has done for us. And as we gather here today, we need to remember who we really are. We are known by who God says that we are. And knowing who we are helps us place our weight on what is weightiest, and our focus and attention on what matters the most and what will endure the longest. We need to know the difference that this makes. It makes a massive difference because it allows us to do things like this. It allows us to understand that we are blessed and not cursed even when things go wrong. How can we have a sense that says, Lord, I am blessed even when everything in your house breaks the same week? How can we say that? Well, because we know in eternity the blessing that we have in Christ. How can we say that we're blessed and not cursed even when the cancer diagnosis comes in? Well, because we know that we know the healer. And one day, even if we die in this life, we're going to die one day of something anyway. We'll have an eternity with him, with a new body that is imperishable. Friends, we need to understand and remember this so that we can understand that we are blessed and not cursed even when things go wrong. Understanding this allows us to be able to understand that we are a saint and not smoked even when we struggle. Friends, Jesus died for our sins, taking the penalty that they deserve so that we might be made holy in Christ before God. That is who we really are. We are called to live in light of that. But even when we fall short, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin as we confess it and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, so that as we sit here today, we might be able to to know and put our weight behind who Jesus says that we are, made holy in his blood. And we also know that we are hopeful and not despairing, even when things are tough. Friends, if all we have is this life, Let's be honest. There are some situations that may not improve day by day by day. But when we understand the perspective of eternity, oh my word, we know it's going to get better. We know it's going to get better. It may be something that is a struggle for a year or a month or a day or a week or a decade. But friends, when all of that is done comes blessing that will last forever. So we of all people should be a people of hope even when things are hard. Understanding and remembering this point of reference makes all the difference. And so we need to ask the question, what is our point of reference? But there's a a second question that I think is helpful for us to ask. And that second question is this, which building are you looking at Which building are you looking at? Now, that's kind of a strange thing to say, and I'm not here talking about any, any physical building as in Wildwood or another church building or a school or an office building or your home. What, I, what I'm talking here about is using the language of the passage to remind us that there are two realities that we can fixate upon, one that is being deconstructed and one that is being constructed. Which one are we going to look at? In the passage, we see in verse 16, these two buildings mentioned, one that he calls the outer self and one that he calls the inner self. By the outer self, it is certainly talking about our our physical bodies, but, but also the things that are bound to this world, the things that will end when this life is done. And by inner self, we're talking about our immaterial part, as well as the things that maybe aren't seen today in this world but exist and will be amplified in eternity. And so, what do we learn about the outer self or the inner self, the the two buildings, the outer building and the inner building? Well, of the outer building, he says that it is wasting away. Let me just ask you, is your outer building wasting away? My outer building is wasting away. There are things I used to be able to do that I can't do anymore. Um, It's hard for me to admit that, but it's true. And you know what? My guess is it's true for you as well. You know, last week I I put in my message, I kept putting my glasses on and off, and I see Dr. Gherkink sitting back there. You remember the day that that I came into your office and I got glasses for the first time. What was funny was I went in thinking I'd never been to the eye doctor in my life, and I go in to to see the eye doctor, and my wife shows up. It's very odd for Kimberly to show up at a normal standard appointment at this stage of my life, but there she is, and I I just look at her and I say, what are you doing here? And she goes, well, I'm here to help you pick out glasses. And I said, I don't think I need glasses. And the technician who was working in the doctor's office that day looked out from behind the instrument that they were testing me with and go, he needs glasses. <laughs> Our outer selves are wasting away. It's, it's just what happened. Time is pretty undefeated. And there are so many other, even more significant examples than that. This outer self is the one that is enduring this light in momentary affliction. But it's transient. It won't last forever. But it's seen, and that's significant. We'll talk about that in a moment. Now, what about this, this inner self? Well, the inner self, the inner building, is being renewed day by day. The idea of the outer self wasting away, that's the idea of the outer self, the body, being deconstructed, being torn down. That's life in this world for the outer self. But the inner self is experiencing something quite the opposite, not being deconstructed day by day, but being built up day by day, being constructed day by day. You know, if if you are here today and you have trusted in Christ, you realize that God has made a commitment to you, a commitment that he plans to keep, to continue to build you up, to complete the work of sanctification in you until the day that we see him again face to face. Wow, what an amazing reality. What an amazing thought. That though our outer body is wasting away, our inner self is being constructed by God day by day by day. And it's the weight of weights, the eternal weight of glory that is not passing away, but is going to be around forever and ever. But it has a challenge, doesn't it? It is unseen. You see, this is a big deal. Because when we see these two things described, if you take out seen and unseen, what are we going to focus on? I mean, if 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 we take out what is seen and what is unseen, our hearts are leaning in the direction of the inner self, are they not? I mean, who wants to choose the outer self? Who wants to choose that which is falling apart over that which is being built up? Who wants to choose that which is transient which is versus that which is eternal? Friends, not me, and I'm guessing not you. But that which is falling apart has, in this life, this somewhat advantage, and that is that it is seen, that it is seen. So how is it that we operate in light of this reality? Well, it's interesting what Paul says. He says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And so we really need to ask the question this, how do we see the unseen? If we are to look on the unseen, how do we do that? How do we do that? That's that's not altogether obvious for us. If you said, you know look at Michael, we all could look and see Michael because he's right here. He's on the front row. But, but how is it that we see that which is unseen? Well, I, I want to share my thoughts on this matter as a way of encouraging us to see the unseen. The first thing I would encourage us to do is to pour over his word to pour over the Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We are to work at reading this book, to devote ourselves to it. Why? And why do we need to keep reading it? Because we need to continue to see that which is unseen. This book helps us see that which is unseen. If we are left merely to our own devices and imagination, we will miss what God is up to and who he really is. We need God's word to help us focus on what is really true. Amen? And so we don't just look to God's word one time. We don't just read it through one time. It's like, do you read the scripture? Yeah, you know, when I was in college, I did this one-year plan. I read the whole thing. That was great. So I kind of know what's in there. I don't need to read it anymore. That's not the way it works, is it? That's not the way it works with anything significant. It's not like you say to your spouse, you know, we, we went on a number of dates back in the, in the fall of 95. And so, you know what? I don't really need to know her anymore because we already did the knowing you part. Now we just are gonna live and operate. No, no, no. We continue to talk. We continue to spend time together because it is in the, that context, that relationship that we continue to remember what we love about one another and who we really are. In the same way, friends, we, we don't take God's word and just say, I read it once, but we go back again and again and again. We pour over it so that we might see the unseen. We might remember what is really true. You know, for me, I, I read the Bible through every year in a one-year Bible reading plan, um, the one-year chronological Bible in the version app. I say that not so that you can say, wow, that's really cool. You, some of you are reading more than me, but just for my own devotional purpose, I started this process a number of years ago and I just read it every year. I would encourage you to, to find a, a pattern, a rhythm of reading God's word, pouring over it day by day. Second thing, is not just to pour over his word, though. It is to present ourselves to him. To present ourselves to him. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul is here talking after making this this long theological argument in the first 11 chapters. He's beginning to turn into how the Romans, and and by application how you and I need to respond in light of the truth he he has just shared He says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, as we pour over the word of God, how should we respond? Well, Romans 12 tells us We respond by presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. We willingly walk up on the altar and say, not my will, but yours be done, God. Not my insight, but Lord, I want you to change the way I think, to think like you have laid out in your word so that I might live... In obedience to you. It's it's an expression of faith, of trusting in God and presenting ourselves before him and saying, Lord, I want to do it your way. As we depend upon him, we rely upon his spirit within us and the wisdom that he has given us in his word. And so we pour over his word and we present ourselves to him. But the third step is really critical. After we do these two things, We need to put on his truth in obedience. We need to put on his truth in obedience. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Listen to this language. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now... You must put them all away, anger and wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What I love about that passage is it's saying it's really when we read God's word and then when we present ourselves to him there's an important third step in that process and that is putting on the behaviors consistent with who we are living in light of that putting on his truth in obedience what good is it friends to own pants if you never wear them The world around you would recognize it and they would call out to you, please put on some pants. If you just said, well, I have some, that would not be a sufficient answer. And really a similar argument is made here. Based on what Christ has done, he has stocked the cabinet with his glorious works and with his truthful, righteous living. Why would we leave it in the cupboard? We must put it on and live in light of who we are. So we pour over his word, we present ourselves to him, and we put on his truth and obedience. And in this way, we are looking to that which is unseen and having it order and structure our lives. And friends, this is the life of faith. It is the life of faith. I love what Hebrews 11 says. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is believing and trusting in the unseen. Sound familiar with the passage we just read? Now, inside of Hebrews 11, a number of examples are given of the Old Testament, but really one of the chief examples of faith in all of the scriptures is the man Abraham. Abraham. God came to Abraham and he he said to Abram, he said, I'm gonna take you to a new place and I'm gonna give you a land and I'm gonna give you a a, a massive nation and all the people of the earth are gonna be blessed through you. In In chapter 13, the Lord says this to Abram. He says, after Lot had separated from him, the Lord says to Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give you and to your offspring forever. At this point, how much land did Abram own? Nothing. At this point, how many descendants did Abram have? How many kids? None. He couldn't see it, and yet he lived in light of it. That's why he is such an example of faith to us. Look at what is said of him in Hebrews 11.10, for Abram was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Friends, we, like the saints of old, live our lives trusting in and relying upon the unseen. And just as we would look to Abram and say, what a wise decision he made, so also when we trust in the unseen God, There is blessing for us today. Friends, which building are you looking at? The seen or the unseen? May we see the unseen and trust in the God who's there. How do we endure? We endure, dear friends, and in part we see by asking these two questions. May we run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this great passage, the encouragement that we have found inside it. Lord, may we be a people who endure, not a, not a people who, who run a sprint with you during college, not, not a people that, that had a, a strong run in high school or in early parenting life, but Lord, may we be a people that run with perseverance all the way to the end, knowing the perspective of eternity, and understanding that you are asking us to trust you even when we cannot see. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen.